This Restorative Justice Life is a production of Amplify RJ. Follow us on all social media platforms at Amplify RJ or sign up for our email list to stay up to date on everything we have going on. And to get the most involved, join our free Mighty Networks community to get connected with others living this restorative justice life all over the world. As far as this podcast goes, make sure you're subscribed, leave a rating and review, and share with a friend to help us further amplify this work. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to This Restorative Justice Life, the podcast that explores how the philosophy, practices, and values of restorative justice apply to our everyday lives. I'm your host, David Ryan Barcega Castro Harris, all five names for the ancestors, and I'm the founder of Amplify RJ. On this podcast, I talk with RJ practitioners, circle keepers, and others doing this work about how this way of being has impacted their lives. Vanessa, welcome to This Restorative Justice Life. Who are you? Who am I? And I was going to say, David, first and foremost, thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, You are one of my favorite persons and so glad to be present to to speak, to speak. So it's always good to have voice. Um, Who am I? I was going to say, first and foremost, I'm the daughter of Simon and Virginia McNorton. I um, was born and raised in Chicago. Chicago is my home. Um, lived in DC for a sprinkle and, um, I am their child and I did go to elementary school. We called it elementary school then and high school in Chicago. Who are you? I am, um, a proud graduate of Howard university. I just love my Howard family was a finance major at Howard. I chose to get into business, which I realized I was not following my passion, uh, but kind of like a money passion. And that soon changed. And I ended up going into, I was in banking for 10 years at First Chicago. So I, I was a branch manager, did some of that fun stuff, but realized it was boring. <laughs> I was like, I do not want to do this. Um, so I changed and, and taught at a therapeutic day school in Chicago in an area called Mount Greenwood. And um, really uh, just loved the passion of educating young people. And the group of young people that I was educating, they were um, students with disabilities that had counseling minutes every day. So that was the best frame of reference to learn from because I was teaching them according to their ability level. So I'm an educator. I'm a former banker. That's who I am. Who are you? I am a very, um, I consider myself a very kind person, very compassionate, very empathetic, um, very gracious person, and just real. I feel like I'm a very real person um, inside and out. And um, just very uh, introspective, um, have had a, a journey. I've had a serious journey of life and health challenges, but um, have been through a lot, but God has brought me through all of it. So I am a richly blessed person. So that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Who are you? I am the mother of a 12-year-old chocolate cocker spaniel named Miles Davis. Uh, He is the apple of my eye. I wasn't sure during this podcast. I was like, okay, 
he should be asleep right, right now. This is his, you know, nap time and he's up looking at me and I'm like, okay, I got to get all his little bag of stuff together. So he's still waiting for the mailman. We might hear some barks, but um, he's a sweetheart. Um, so I'm Miles's mom. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> I am a restorative justice practitioner um, that is very passionate about people, people of color, um, black and brown people, all people, but especially black and brown people. I am a community person. I'm an activist. I believe in Ubuntu. I am because we are, we are because I am. I believe that my ancestors are present all around me and are constantly rooting me on. And um, my ancestors have prayed for me at such a time as this. Who are you? (laughs) I am a good friend. I am a good friend. I am a supporter. I'm a person that roots other people on and believes that everybody should shine. Um, And um, I am extremely hardworking, dedicated, and committed to people Mm -hmm. and myself. (laughs) And finally, who are you? I am a person that needs harmony and balance in my life. And I definitely talk to people I know about the need to have self-care, harmony, and balance in order to be an overall healthy person. That includes rest and sleep and eating the rainbow and getting sunshine and and just doing you, doing what you need to do to be healthy. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing all of those things about who you are. We're going to get to all of those intersections uh, when we come back. Hey, folks, I'm Elise, your producer, and today we are welcoming Vanessa McNorton to the podcast. Vanessa grew up and continues to live on the south side of Chicago in the historic Bronzeville community. Vanessa is deeply committed to working with community intergenerationally and to be in the right relationship whenever and wherever called. Vanessa has been involved with many different restorative justice initiatives within the Chicagoland area. Let's hear more from Vanessa and get back into the episode. Vanessa, thank you again so much for being here. Uh, Really excited to dive deeper in to this conversation, exploring all those intersections of who you are when it comes to living this restorative justice life. But it's always good to start off with a check-in. So to the extent that you want to answer the question right now, how are you? How am I? Okay. Um, thank you for asking that question. I love check-ins. Uh, I, am, I am well. I am feeling good today. I'm grateful, grateful for life. Grateful to be present here. Grateful to be in this space. I'm grateful to be able to walk and talk without any assistance. So I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you, David. Yeah, it's what I heard in there is like the gratitude coming through from, you know, the the place where we are. And sometimes for me, um, it's it's hard to see those things um, on top of, you know, pandemic living and um, just all the other things that are going on in the world, um, those moments of gratitude um, and taking stock of like, you know, 
really am blessed for so many things. Um, mm-hmm. It's really healthy. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned self-care in uh, your uh, your introduction with the who are you. Like, what are self-care practices that you've been leaning into that have really helped you keep that at the forefront? Right, right. <clears throat> Thank you for asking that. So the self-care is really needed because it's part of my health journey that I've been on. I was diagnosed with lupus at age 30 and um, never, you know, my life was wonderful um, up until that time, never even thought of, that I would have a health challenge like that. So lupus is for everybody, for anybody that doesn't know, is a, um, it's an autoimmune disease and it, and it attacked really my um, skin. So I was blessed. I mean, I, you know, had the actual lupus diagnosed. And then a couple of weeks later, I, I took like a month off because I was a bank manager at that time. And then I, I went on and went to work. You know, I was like, dang, I could have taken, what do they call it? You know, leave time or something for a while and just, you know, just rested. But I went on and went back to work and the lupus, I, I became a, um, a lupus advocate and I did lupus workshops, became the minority outreach coordinator for the state. You know, that was my my service work. And I worked my full-time job. And then the lupus later on attacked my organs. So it attacked my kidney. So I had to transplant. My two-year anniversary just happened. And that was uh, 2020-2020. So I'm blessed to have had the kidney transplant from the donor that gave it to me. Um, and then I'm blessed to be able to say that I'm doing quite well. And after that, it was four days later, I had a quadruple bypass. I had a heart attack and I passed the test at the university with flying colors, um, in terms of the EKG and all that stuff that they give you, but I had that. So I've overcome a lot of challenges. So self-care is critical. So sometimes Um, what I do is I do light candles even. I might be, you know, I didn't today. I use it like like a cinnamon candle. So that's a self-care means because it's very zen and calming um, when I'm on Zoom and I'm on Zoom a lot. Um, I do yoga and I uh, was doing Pilates previously. I'm a walker. So I do steps by Rick at home. But when the weather's good, I walk outside. Um, My dog's a little older now, as I stated. So, you know, I walk a little bit with him. But when I want to do that power walking, you know, I'll do it near the lakefront and have a good time out there. And then I just I like silence. I'll sit in silence and just relax. And um, I don't need the TV. I don't need music. But um, when I do want music, I will put some music on. I'm a jazz person and I'll put some smooth jazz on and just relax with the smooth jazz. But um, just to be still and present is one of my self-care pieces to get rest, rest my body and just, you know, go to a nice, warm, comfortable bed and put on some wonderful PJs that are nice and soft. That's a form of self-care for me as well. So I do, do do those things and a good hot shower, you know, just sitting there, you know, standing there with the shower head, just booming. Um, those are the things that I do, you know, to make sure that my body is feeling that peace. Yeah, there are a lot of things folks take for granted, right, uh, when it comes to their health and to have been forced to, like, take stock and, like, really slow down, like, is something that, like, 
I hope that like folks listening and I myself like don't have to do just like do those things proactively. Right. And I know I'm talking to myself about this too, because, <laughs> because like to, in order to be able to serve well and do our best work in community for others, like, you know, we need to be able to take care of ourselves and constant reminder to myself as well as uh, mm-hmm. making sure that folks um, providing fo- space for folks who I'm working with in community with are able to do that as well. Um, also, of course, you're a jazz lover with a dog named Miles Davis. Come on. That was, that was the most <laughs> predictable thing <laughs> that you said. Um, so th- thank you so much for sharing all that, you know, you know, that life of a banker where you went right back into work, um, into, um, and then like right back into activism, like that doesn't seem like incredibly like, uh, self-care, like, right. Yeah. Like, you know, like not taking time, for yourself. And, you know, that was at a time when you were, you were passionate about the money, right? Um, you, you diverted from that to work more towards community um, and eventually found your way to restorative justice. But like you said earlier, you know, you've been doing activist uh, or community work for a long time and have kind of just been this way. So, you know, even before you know, even before you knew the words, how did this restorative justice life get started for you? Sure. So I didn't know about restorative justice when I was, I was a um, director of a, a charter school. So I had a dean that I, that, um, that, I, that I had hired and she was deep into RJ and she learned restorative justice uh, from a person at Chicago public schools that was like the guru of restorative justice. But she would speak about it, you know, all the time. And even, you know, with the interview too. And then I had a, <laughs> I didn't have an issue, but it was a balance thing. So I was one of the people that created our code of conduct book. So I'm like, I created this code of conduct in terms of how students, if they violate policies, this is what's going to occur. And then on the flip side, I have the restorative justice D that's like, we can't just penalize young people. We have to have conversations and hear their voice and find out what's happening to them. So that happened in a situation where, you know, I'm walking around the hallways of the school and a young man was, and he was African-American, was outside in the hallway. And I'm like, why are you outside the hallway? Teacher put him out. You know, she came out. and She stated that she put him out of the room. And I'm like, well, he needs to be learning. What horrific thing has he done that he got put out of the classroom during learning time? She says, well, I, I can't just, I can't have him in here. I just can't have him in here. So I took him with me. My dean was there. I'm like, okay, you know, I've been hearing your name a little bit. You're going to have to just, you know, I'm gonna call your mother and um, you're going to, you know, get three to five days. I'll determine based on what I find out from your teacher and yourself that you have done. I said, but you're going to, you know, you've disrupted the classroom, the teacher can't teach. So I'm going by policy. You know, I'm going by that code of conduct book that I I helped write. And then the dean and I both asked him questions about, well, why did you do this? And at first he wouldn't say, this was a young child. And then he said, you know, my mother and father are arguing all, you know, when I get home, they argue, all day, all night. And then also I don't have, my only food that I get is breakfast 
and lunch at school. So we don't have food. So I'm like, okay, you know, we got to hear the voice of the child. And the reason why he's being disobedient is because he's, he's hungry. He's, you know, he's having, um, there's violence in the household. So that's a, a lot. And then I thought about it. I said, okay, if I suspend him, then he's going to just go home and, you know, they're going to just have him sitting there for three days watching television anyway. So that doesn't make sense. So we have to have something in place, you know, in schools, in society where we're, you know, there's relationship building, there's community building with him and his family. And it can't be me just giving him a three-day suspension to go home and chill. So that's where I really first got introduced. And then a lady by the name of Mother June, 90, <laughs> she's 91 years young now. And I know you know her, David. She introduced me to Michelle Day. And I started doing restorative justice, excuse me, work in schools. And um, that was phenomenal because I started learning more and more about restorative justice through herself and Olivia Chase. And um, we started working in community, different communities in Chicago and um, really building relationships and, and really trying to be in right relationships with uh, community members of all walks of life. So that was, and within the school, trying to really build a whole school approach. So it was, I don't like to say top down or bottom up, but just whole school. You're looking at the, the janitor, the custodian, all the way um, through the security guards and the food folks, the folks serving food to the kids. And then of course, you know, you're, your teachers and the students and the uh, principals. So trying to have that restorative mindset that everybody in the school understands and actually sticks to. And um, they actually, you know, working together as a school community instead of in little pods um, and not being in relationships. So that to me was a definite goal in terms of community in schools and within uh, the surrounding communities around the schools as well. Uh, yeah, I want to go back to that story with that young man. What ended up happening? Yeah. With, he, both with him and the the teacher. Yes. So the teacher, you know, was talked to and it was stated that she cannot, and it was a new teacher too. So you look at the um new teacher syndrome where it's like, I'm just focused on educating the child and I have to do this. So I've been there. And that was the thing that I wanted to do with education was I got to go where the teachers went. I got to start where they went and not start at a higher level and really understand um, their classroom, the child and all that kind of thing. I want it to be, you know, that kind of individual. So with the teacher, we had a conversation, several conversations, and it really stemmed around building relationships in your classroom. And that was part of the problem. She didn't have a relationship with her, her student. So that was critical, you know, doing activities. Yes, we know that there's certain benchmarks you have to adhere to because it's, it's hard on teachers, but the relationship had not been built where the child was comfortable enough to speak and talk about what was happening. And the, and the child was seeking attention. So definitely, um, letting the teacher know if she saw warning signs 
you know, the dean is there to assist. I'm always there. I was always there to assist and um, her having conversations with us. So, you know, we can support the teacher if this ever happened again, or if she is uncomfortable about um, certain things in her room. Now, we did talk about, you know, what restorative justice means to the teacher and how it can be effective in her classroom and how she can build relationships. We did talk about the check-in, checking in with your kids at their level and asking them how they're feeling first thing in the morning and when they leave. So we did those things um, to kind of change and shift that mindset and kind of implemented some of those areas within the school building as well. And then the child was, you know, gradually very shy child, gradually warming up to speaking, communicating. He would smile at me in the mornings and wave, hi, Miss McNaughton, you know. So he was, he was, he was a happier child, a happier child. And then of course we had to have the conversation with the family and they, you know, definitely discussed some of the situations and things that were happening, um, making us aware. And we had social workers at the school that were supporting them. So we wanted to hit every, every area in terms of the needs that needed to occur. Yeah. I I'm excited. I was excited to have this conversation with you one, because like, it's, it's just always good to talk with you, but two, because like you've been doing this work across a lot of different sectors and just like to focus on the school part for a second, right? Um, a little bit ago, I haven't shared this publicly yet. And maybe by the time this airs, I will have shared it publicly. I went into um, one of those big teacher Facebook groups and left this question, like asking, you know, what is it that, um, what would have been different in your schooling experience um, if your school really practiced restorative justice? Mm. Um, and what I got yes. in response um, <laughs> made it clear that like not everybody has the same understanding of what restorative justice was, <laughs> first of all, right? Because so many of the people were like, um, you know, it's like, it would have been more bullying for me. Um, it would have been like, um, it would have been the same because my parents taught me right. <laughs> um, it would have, but then there were also people who were like, you know, I wouldn't have been expelled um, and out of three schools um, and kicked out of my house um, as a pregnant teen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, I wouldn't have had all of these things. But like, you, again, on the other side, you have people saying, like, you know, I don't like restorative justice because like it's not fair to the other 27 students in the room when like one student's acting out and like that person's not getting their act together. They're not keeping everybody safe in the classroom. And I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. Right. And I don't think it's exclusive to new teachers, although, you know, people who have like less experience right. in classrooms um, often, often think that way. But mm-hmm. when we're talking about those relationships in the room, like, you know, when you have those relationships, it's a lot more likely that you're going to be able to mitigate some of those problems or prevent those, like if you had checked in with that student uh, before. Um, And like, that's not to say that restorative justice is a panacea and will cure everything all the time and will solve all the problems, right? Um, It's not that going to the office to just get a talking to is what solves it, right? You talked about multiple conversations with the teacher. You talked about multiple conversations with the student's family to get additional support to like prevent those problems. Like that's Mm -hmm. what we're talking about when we're talking about restorative justice, not just like Johnny was interrupting me in class, Mm -hmm. go to the office, like um, three day suspension. Right. Um, And so, 
you know, relationship building being at the core of that and like the additional support around those things is what we're talking about when it comes to restorative justice. I know like you didn't have that background when you first went into education. What about Mm -hmm. it? Like, was there a moment that stands out that it clicked for you? It clicked for me after, within the school setting, definitely. I mean, it was just like, okay, every school in Chicago needs this. (laughs) You know, I was just like, okay, we have to change because the way deans are handling discipline, it's like, you know, and the words that are being used, because we talk about how words have meaning and the voice has meaning. So even when I was uh, working, when I worked with Nehemiah Trini Rising now, and in the beginning when I was going to the schools, the, the language that I would hear from the deans and the language I would hear from the teachers, you know, and it wasn't everybody, was just very harmful to the students. And to me, very traumatic. So that's something that those children kept, you know, in their, you know, in their space. I mean, they will remember some of the, the language the rest of their life. So I felt that um, change has to be made. So some, you know, and that's where I came in, where it was like, okay, maybe we need girls groups. You know, we had etiquette uh, circles. So they, the circles that I created within the schools were sometimes topic driven. And some students absolutely loved being circled and welcome, you know, having circle weekly because it was something different. It got to the point where we had some ambassadors that were able to lead circles, young folks that were ambassadors, which was dynamic and powerful. And um, students just sharing and talking. It wasn't a punitive thing. You know, sometimes in the beginning, the, the, uh, students would say, uh, you know, no, 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 you know, because they've sat in circles that were placed because of negative behavior. And they had to sit there and be in circle with a counselor. So changing that mindset and shifting it um, was critical. But we had some wonderful, I had some wonderful and successful circles at, at some of the uh, schools that I was at for CPS. Yeah, it's Definitely what you just said, like the first and only time people are in circle can't be when they're in trouble. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Like what are the things that you're doing to like proactively show that, uh, well, using circles for community building, relationship building, for teaching, for learning, like you were saying, um, you can have all kinds of different discussions, um, sharings, learnings uh, in circle. And, you know, it's not just a discipline thing. It's not just a conflict resolution thing. you know, you, you were taught by some people in CPS and Jardine, but then you talked about Mama June, but you know, you got connected with Nehemiah um, and, you know, started shifting and you transitioned out of like being in schools full time. Um, what did that time look like? What was that journey? Sure. Well, when I started with Nehemiah, because uh, Mama June again introduced the wonderful purple lady, Mother June introduced me to Michelle Day, who is the CEO of Nehemiah, Trinity Rising. So we started working. When I started um, with Nehemiah, I was assigned to working, doing RJ work in schools. So there were several schools I was going to in different parts of the city, south and west side, and working with the entire school community to shift mindsets 
to um, be in right relationships, to build communities so that RJ practices could occur and we could, you know, help the school communities and, and classrooms um, of various age groups to really definitely the whole key is being in the right relationship with each other. So there were challenges, you know, even when I was um, an educator for 15 years, you know, in schools, leading them or as a classroom teacher, you know, there were challenges, but we, but I worked as hard as I could to make sure RJ was in there. They understood we, you know, we talked about our values. We created our guidelines and how we're going to live together with each other uh, in the circle space. We, I, I developed topics that we would have for each circle and included their language, you know, their, um, the icons that they felt were icons and, and kind of molded that into, you could call it my lesson plan, <laughs> you know, my circle plan um, that I created for each session. So it was great. You know, some of just the, the single gender circles were powerful, were powerful. I actually also worked outside of schools in community uh, for three years. I was working with young men that were on electronic monitoring in the Rosen community. And that was powerful. You know, the first, it was a six week program for them each, each um, year. And of course, the first two weeks, not of course, but in this situation, it was, you know, had had challenges. These young men, a couple of them were used to sitting in a circle because of a punitive thing and having them, you know, just doing the basic things in terms of incorporating our guidelines with, you know, sitting, taking your head off, and pulling up the pants and things of that nature. That's what we worked on. But then we did develop a wonderful relationship. I was like, aha moment. Mama June was in these circles with me too. And they would just come to the circle, you know, pants pulled up, heads off and ready to just talk. And they led some of the circles in terms of the check-in, you know, are actually the opening ritual. So they would come with a rap or a song and they would open it up. So I included them in that space. You know, they were included, of course, from the beginning, the first circle, but they finally felt comfortable. They trusted, and that was the key. They trusted, they felt comfortable, and they felt they were part of the circle. There was no judgment. So we had dynamic and powerful circles, um, you know, after getting through the, the hoops of the first couple of weeks. But that was a strong implementation of RJ. But again, it takes time. Um, yeah. People have to feel safe. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we had on Eric Butler, and he talked about manipulating people into accepting mm -hmm. RJ. And, you know, the word manipulation is harsh. And like, there are a couple of people, I reacted a certain kind of way when he said that. And like, when we posted that clip on, <laughs> on social, a couple of people like had some kind of reaction to the fr framing of manipulation, right? Yeah. You know, what you're talking about is like, creating points of connection, creating the space, like using language that people are familiar with using meeting people where they're at right exactly. to invite them in to more restorative ways of being because right. like if you come in and just say like this is what you have to do because i say so right nobody um, right. Nobody, nobody nobody's gonna do that and yeah. you know it and if you come in 
even things like if you come in and say the first thing you say to a young person is like pull up your pants take off your hat right like what does that say about the relationship and so like the way to quote unquote manipulate that the way to invite them into a relationship right you talking about talking about values how do we want to be together in the space and telling those stories that explain you know, specific needs that people have. And then within the context of those relationships, people are like, this is the way that I'm going to be outside of this. But because of you, Vanessa, and our relationship, like, this is what I'll do here. Mm -hmm. Right. That that was just so beautiful. I'm curious, like, what did that look like working with uh, adults in schools? Right. Because, you know, with young people, in many ways, it's a lot easier (laughs) to to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, What were some of the ways that you did that? Or like, is there, are there any specific stories of ways that you did that in schools? In schools, yeah, I mean, we did them. And I would say an example is working with parents at school. Um, we were working with parents at a school on the West side and the parents were apprehensive even to be in circle space at a school because they've had bad experiences in the past when they were younger in schools. So even walking into a school building for them was difficult even though their children were there. So I I had to know that. I had to understand that. And then, so that meant I had to make sure the space that was created was safe. Um, Or they felt it was safe. So with the parents, you know, had a script, you know, organized that with my my co-keeper. And we had everything down that we wanted to talk about and went through it. You know how you're planning all this wonderful stuff. you know, you're putting your head together, trying to, you know, really see, excuse me, <laughs> what um, is the best method in terms of having the circle, you know, in terms of lively, you know, um, activities in the beginning and, and interesting quotes that might really um, be powerful for them. But sitting in that circle space, they just really wanted to talk. They wanted to talk about their past experiences, their harms in school buildings, and how important it is for them to be in right relationship with other parents within their build within the building. So that's where we were, you know, and sometimes in RJ, you do what the circle does. That's what we always say. If the circle goes a different direction, that's the way the circle goes. So with those parents, we just were like, we're listeners. You know, we kind of moved some questions and, you know, what, what we thought on the spot. And we were like, this is the way we're going to do it. And that was a good um, length of time for a program as well, in terms of circle activities that we did with them as well, in circle spaces. So we just took some time to sit and process and just talk um, in reference to areas that they felt they needed to discuss and say. Um, in terms of their discomfort with school in order for us to get deeper into that RJ conversation. But we did. Yeah. yeah. So we had to go there first and kind of, you know, let, let them speak, let that voice be heard. I think about the framework of, you know, white supremacy culture, where there's like, these are the objectives. These are the mm-hmm. things that we have to achieve. Um, right. These are the outcomes. And like, this is the plan. This is the script. We've, we're going to stick to it. Mm-hmm. Right. And when those things don't work, right. Yes. Or, or not even when they don't work, when you sense from jump that like, that's not what needs to happen mm-hmm. <laughs> in a space. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, you, you have to be able to adapt. And then out of those conversations, what, what happened? Yeah. So with those, I mean, they were just so appreciative because they didn't feel they liked the school building. Um, they liked the administrator, but they just didn't feel based on their insecurity safe. So they, out of that came a sense of uh, self and self-esteem. We talked about that with them, you know, one of the circles and just the fact that their voice was important. Some of these parents and most of them did not finish like even high school. So for them to walk into a, a middle school building and have a, a conversation, you know, that is they felt was important was difficult. So for us to give them that space, I mean, they were grateful. They just loved the fact that somebody was listening to them. They planned the time to come every week. They told other parents about it and they started coming in the door and, and talking, but it brought, you know, you go back to those values. You know, one of the things that we always ask is what are a couple of values? What's even one value that describes uh, you being your best self and them talking about some of those values that are important, you know, to them, it was, you know, we had some crying sessions. It was some very deep things that came out. So that was important. You always think about some of the circles that have meaning and you will always remember some of them, you know, that just stand out for you and the impact that it makes on other people and in understanding restorative justice practices. And then of course, them coming back and telling you some of them that they're doing it within their home and they're having circles at home with their child and with the family, even getting dead to participate. What more can you ask for? You know, that was fabulous. Right. And so like, I, I'm thinking in, in terms of like, you know, a school brings you in to like fix our kids right? Or like fix relationships with parents or like build capacity for restorative justice, right. right? It's not just about like the teaching, the skills, right? It's actually about like having those experiences and those things take time. I think we're in a moment where a lot of people um, are looking for quick solutions because the yeah. problems that we're facing are very urgent, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think like, I want to be generous to people and say that, you know, when people are looking for fast solutions, it's not because they don't want to put in the work. It's because like, there are just like the easiest things, like uh, the perceived easiest thing to do. I guess there's this framing of nothing that's worth doing um, comes easy. And when we're talking about undoing generational trauma, right? a parent coming into a parent, bringing their child to school where they've had traumatic experiences. Like mm -hmm. what is that child thinking when they come into school, when they have negative messages about school that um, have been passed down um, even like not intentionally through their parents. Right. right. So like sitting down and having a conversation with parents and not just a conversation, like listening, right. Um, and validating their voices and validating those experiences, like exactly. changes how a child is going to be in the ch classroom, changes how a parent is going to participate in their child's education with the dialogue that's had with the teachers. I'm curious, were, were school staff a part of those circles? Yes, there were some school staff circles. Um, sometimes oh, there's- sorry, with, with the parents. Oh, with the parents, no. Yeah. Because of the time frame where yeah. teachers were teaching at the time. 
So that's always one of the things in school where it's like, where is the time? So there were separate circles with the teachers and uh, we did those like with grade levels and then parents had their time like midday uh, when they had the most availability because the teachers during the day had written, yeah. you know, demands. So we did the circles after school with them. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, and I, I don't know the answer because mm-hmm. I know it looks different in every school circumstance. How do you then take the circle practices and that these people have had individually and then build relationships between um, staff and parents? Right. And that's the whole key. And that's the, the big issue <laughs> with, I mean, we have to have it whole school but everybody needs to be sitting in circle spaces within the school building. So even with professional developments, there were several that we've done. Um, Nehemiah Trinity Rising has, has had uh, several circle spaces have occurred with professional developments and we were able to sit with the school community and have several there. But again, we look, you know, and, and there were several circles that occurred with um, conversations, but, you know, it's a top, it's an administration issue too. So the administration definitely has to have the buy-in and definitely has to have the buy-in to say, I know my security people, my lunch people, my, you know, my PE, my art staff, my eighth grade teacher, you know, needs to be able to be in circle spaces together and give up that time. And that's the hard thing because there's so many demands on school, you know, wasn't always, weren't always able to have that happen. Um, yeah. Like we would have wanted to, you know, so that's that hard piece that happens within the schools that exist right now, you know, in terms of having everybody in circle spaces together and taking the time to do RJ practices um, with the whole school approach. It has to be that buy-in. It has to be the buy-in from everybody. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. And part of that buy-in is what is the time that you're going to allot for this? Exactly. The But p- what people often don't think about is like, what are you going to not spend time doing? Mm-hmm. Because like you only have so many hours. Um, I don't think there's a prescription for it, right? A one size fits all thing. But um, for folks who are thinking about what does it take to do this within schools, within organizations, within yes. your communities, even it's like, you know, we all have 24 hours in a day and we're doing something mm-hmm. with those hours. And the, mm-hmm. and the time that we have, whether it's contract hours at school, work hours at work or time in community meetings, how much of that are you dedicating to building relationships? So you can go, you know, African proverb, like uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So we can make sure that one, these movements, these relationships exactly. um, last. Speaking of restorative justice and education, we have a free training, the eight key concepts every educator must understand about restorative justice, available now. 
If you're looking to build community with other educators doing restorative justice work, you can join our Mighty Networks community group that meets twice a month, facilitated by Des Moines and Stephanie, wrestling with how we implement restorative justice while working to dismantle oppressive systems in schools. And if you're an educator who wants to really go deep with your restorative practice, this summer we're offering a restorative justice summer intensive for educators. It's a six-week program, a mix of facilitated sessions live on Tuesdays starting on June 21st, augmented by asynchronous learning lessons and collaborative opportunities with educators across the country. Links to all of this can be found in the show notes. Now, back to the conversation. You know, you talked a little bit about the work that you did in Roseland with uh, the young people there. You talked about, you know, the work that uh, Nehemiah continues to do, training uh, folks in restorative justice and circle practice. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, how has restorative justice impacted your life personally? Sure, sure. So restorative justice uh, definitely just doesn't stop with me doing the work, you know, in community during the day. So it's a way of life. Um, And people are like, exactly what do you mean? It's a way of life. So it's a way that I communicate with my friends. And I I have changed my mindset to be a deeper listener. You know, sometimes I was passive, I have to admit it. You know, you kind of listen, you kind of don't to people. I try to be a better listener. I... Restorative justice definitely has made me a better person looking at, um, you know, really living my values that I truly believe in that really describe me if I'm, you know, my best self. So I try to live being, you know, and I check myself when I don't do certain things and trying to be kind and trying to be compassionate and trying to show empathy and have an empathetic listening ear and trying to, you know, really walk the walk and talk the talk and um, being non-judgmental when I meet somebody. So it is the way of life for me. Um, definitely, it is Mbutu. I am because we are, we are because I am. So I really look at it if one person is harmed in a community, everybody is harmed. You know, if I'm feeling within my circle, somebody feels harmed, then we're all harmed. So we need to sit and talk or, you know, just be silent. Once again, that silence, that silence is powerful. Just be silent. And, um, you know, then definitely, of course, you know, have a have a conversation to get to the root of of what's happening. But um, I'm living RJ day to day and it's made definitely made me a better person. You know, it's been how many years since you've been introduced to this work? Gosh, I'm thinking 10 plus. Yeah, so so <laughs> decade plus. Is there, uh, like, if you think about, like, you know, 15 years ago, Vanessa, mm-hmm. like, is there a situation that happened in your life recently that you were like, because, like, I have this way of being now, like, I reacted this way as opposed to what I would have done 15 years ago. And part of that is, like, you know, just age, wisdom, experience, sure. but, like, specifically with, like, restorative uh, ways of being in mind. Definitely. I um, I talk about, there's a group of seniors that I work with. I call them ageless beauties, you know, and I do service work with them. And um, it's not always easy. You know, it's not always easy because um, sometimes, you know, you're, you're thought of as a young person. And I'm, real, I'm like, I'm really, I got some, I got some wisdom here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a child. So, but you got to be respectful. 
So I, you know, I, and I've learned that too, you know, working with um, and being a good friend with Mother Jew. And that has taught me wonderful patience um, as well as with these other ageless ladies. And it just teaches me to be a deep listener, um, but still invoke voice. Also to be kind and patient and to realize, you know, you're going to be a senior too, you know, down the road. Um, so how do you want to be treated? So again, you know, treating people as you want to be treated and just, I really just walk those values, even when I'm doing service work, you know, and working with um, these ageless ladies and working on a project where I might want to fume up and I'm, you know, upset and I'm like, you know, they're not hearing me or, you know, and I'm the one kind of guiding all of this and putting it together when we're doing a, a specific service project. But then I realize, you know, let me, let me use a different tactic, which is a RJ tactic, which is a way of life that uh, we all should be using, I think, and that I try to hold true to. And that's by definitely, you know, being the person that is, is definitely deeply listening and listening to voice and not just jumping to a response. So I, I try to, I try to live that with uh, my, my service group that I'm working with. And it has, you know, there were a couple of times when, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, this and that. And then, you know, the next meeting, you know, I prayed about it first. And then the next meeting, it was just like smooth sailing. And it was because I changed my tone and was reflected about, reflective of, about um, invoking RJ um, practices within the group that I was working with. Yeah. It, it's not just this thing that we do at work for professionally, yeah. right? It's, it's this way of life. It's this way of being. And like, you know, you have made this a part of your professional life, professional work um, with, with Nehemiah. Uh, we talked about, you know, y'all support communities, you support schools, you have monthly trainings, right? That happen right now on Zoom uh, last week in the month. Um, but y'all have also been at the forefront of organizing the upcoming NACRJ, National Association, National Association of Community and Restorative Justice Conference happening in Chicago um, this yes. summer. Uh, tell us about what's happening there. Wanted to talk about the gathering. You're calling the conference the gathering. We voted on that part of the name. So just wanted to say it's going to be phenomenal. Um, the dates are July 7th. Actually, the pre-conference begins on the 6th, so it's the, we'll include that definitely, the 6th through the, actually the 9th. So the pre-conference is that Wednesday. Um, it's going to be fabulous. There's full uh, sessions and two half-day sessions, and there's wonderful, wonderful pre-conference activities that people definitely should attend. There's folks coming in to Chicago on that date or earlier because of course, the 4th of July weekend ties into the conference. And then we definitely want Chicagoans to come. We definitely want Chicagoans to come to the pre-conference. And then we do have the, the um, conference opening begins on the 7th. And there are um, plenary sessions that will have arts and entertainment right before the actual plenary where the, speaker is, the speakers will be speaking. We have speakers coming from out of the country from New Zealand and Rwanda, and um, definitely it's going to be fabulous. 
We have Ubuntu that's going to flow throughout the conference, and that's I am because we are, and we are because I am. And then uh, we have several, we're calling them breakout sessions, that will flow throughout. So there's 25 uh, flowing in and out, and that's several breakout sessions flowing in and out of the conference throughout um, the actual gathering on Thursday and Friday. And then Friday, we will have Eddie Gloud, who will be speaking, and he will be speaking as the lunch plenary speaker. And um, Eddie Gloud is known for being on MSNBC and is a strong advocate of restorative justice practices. And we do have the Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton that will um, be present and speaking as well. She's a strong, strong advocate for restorative justice practices. So we are so excited um, in tiptoe anticipation and Peacock proud of this conference. Um, we're excited that people will be able to get together and speak with each other and talk to each other. And that's going to occur on the day of reflection, which is the last day. So that is the, um, that Saturday, and that's the day of reflection where we'll have reflective circles and World Cafe, Art of Hosting World Cafe, where people will be able to share and talk. And then we will have power workshops where people will have conversations about different topics that will be presented for um, during the conference at the, at the end of that. And then we will have our closing with our guest speaker, Xavier Ramey. So we're very excited about the conference because we want uh, restorative justice people on all levels of knowledge to be able to participate. Uh, folks can learn and folks that have been involved with restorative justice practices for years will be able to uh, obtain knowledge as well. And we have some fantastic workshops and breakout sessions that are going to occur during the conference. One of the other things we wanted to note is about the day away. And the day away is where people will sign up to go into th uh, three different communities within the Chicago area that are doing restorative justice practices. So there will be a bus that will take people to the different communities. And we're excited about that because that has never occurred at any of the conferences. And this is something that is very exciting. And um, um, it's something that we're highlighting as well. So we're very excited about that piece. So definitely we're encouraging Chicagoland people, people from all over to attend the conference. And we are excited uh, to welcome you to the Restorative Justice Conference that is going to be held in Chicago. Yeah, I am really excited to be back in Chicago. It's been, it'll be like three years since I, I left and it'll be good to see people again, just in general. Yeah. Uh, good to breathe Chicago air, see the lake, ride the trains, all of that. But, you know, there's so many great things, great connections that happen. Mm -hmm. conferences. I've been to the one in Denver in 2019. I've been to the one in Oakland in 2017. And there's always so many uh, takeaways. Um, I wanted to explore the breakouts and the day away a little bit more. Um, I think there are a couple separate tracks for the breakout sessions. Could you talk about uh, what types of um, tracks that people can engage in with those breakouts? Sure. And I do have a handy sheet so I can make sure I don't forget any of them. But as I stated, um, Ubuntu will run throughout. So that's considered kind of our track two. But we have six others. 
So they are um, indigenous roots of RJ, trauma and healing, uh, systems change, as well as radical peacemaking and change and faith and spirituality, as well as points of tension and innovation. So we have six of these wonderful tracks that are going to be placed in certain days and um, people will be able to really sign up for workshops too, according to the tracks that they're interested in. Because we talk to several people in different walks of life and, and areas that they, they're really interested in hearing about as they connect with the restorative justice practices. So we have um, been very careful about selecting um, workshops that would appeal to the, the people that will be attending the restorative justice conference this year. Beautiful, right? So um, different tracks to engage in, different uh, communities to go out and learn from in Chicago. Uh, you're also, I don't know that you've mentioned this, outside of like planned conference activities, workshops, stayaways, there are also going to be um, self-care and uh, healing spaces set up for people to engage in, right? Yes, we have a wonderful wellness committee. Yes. And Let's be, let's talk about what's happening the beginning of each day. We're having wellness activities from 6 a.m. to 7.45 a.m. where people are going to be able to get involved in yoga and meditation and other activities just to start their day. So what a way to do that on the lakefront and just by the stillness of water and inside the actual convention center. Um, what we're excited about too is that where we're located with our convention center is on the east side. So the east side is right near the lake. So we have a terrace area too where activities can be held in terms of wellness activities. So that's very exciting. And within the conference, they're gonna actually have a cart that will be like a wellness cart and they'll have different items for people to take um, and use throughout the conference, take what they need. And then they're planning different uh, wellness wellness activities for people to partake in. So that's all gonna be, you know, it's, it's all absolutely wonderful because at this time in our lives with things that are happening in the world and especially with us being in pandemic and our conference being rescheduled, we definitely wanted to make sure that the wellness area is a strong area within the conference as well as all the other uh, activities that are going on and, and breakouts and things of that nature. But we definitely wanted to make sure that we are uh, doing self-care and practicing self-care and letting the folks know how important it is and that we um, want to make sure that it is available to them. We're excited. We're working hard to make sure it's successful. And we're going to be glad that people will be coming. And one of the things that we always talk about how Aura had mentioned, she wanted to make sure there was time for people to actually talk to each other to reflect with each other, to talk to each other, not just go from one workshop to the other, but bond and talk. So we are being purposeful about making sure that that happens, where folks can converse and talk to each other. Well, links to sign up and uh, get involved with either both Nehemiah and the conference um, yes. will be in the show notes. But now it's time for the questions that everybody answers. So in your own <laughs> words, define restorative justice. Yeah, restorative justice definitely is about, is a way of life. 
And it is about being, I cannot say this enough, um, enough about being in right relationship with each other. So that is, that is our RJ in a nutshell. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you've been doing this work of restorative justice for, you know, 10 mm-hmm. plus years as you've been going through it. Like what's been an, oh shit moment or like a moment you made a mistake. And what did you learn from it? I think sometimes you go by a script and you are just like, cause I'm very like that. And that's my bank uh, management mindset as well as administer administrator mindset where I'm like, okay, I got to follow this script. I got to follow it. A, B, C, T, E. And realizing that you just got to go with the flow uh, when you're in circle space. You do have a script to follow, but you do go the way of the spirit. Uh, The circle, I might have mentioned this before, the circle does what it does. So sometimes you have to just, you know, go according to what happens in space. And I think my, I haven't had any really big ahas. Um, I think, you know, with people getting emotional and, and how to handle that, you know, when I was brand spanking new, it was kind of like, okay, so what do we do? <laughs> you know. And then now that I'm a little bit more knowledgeable, I, you know, I understand the significance, of course, having that co-keeper and then, you know, and just keeping the circle going, but still attending to the needs of somebody that um, is crying out. You know, so I that has been a big aha with that and 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 trying to meet those needs of, um, you know, of both parties. So that probably is that biggest aha that's occurred where I had to say, okay, you know, we (laughs) what do we do here? You know, how do we do this? And just be an observer in the beginning to the process and use my own instincts. You know, I'm like, I'm a smart chick. I can figure this out. So using your own instincts without saying, hey, I got to rely on this. um, That has been extremely helpful to me, you know, and changed my whole being. Yeah. In the way I act, you know, in the way way I'm being within the space. And I love training because, you know, within uh, Nehemiah, we always talk about we're creating an avalanche of people. So that have a passion for restorative justice work. So I I love doing the trainings because more people are becoming knowledgeable and then they can, you know, multiply and do more work within community or within their family. Um, So my gosh, how powerful is that? You know, because some, you know, it's kind of a buzzword. RJ is a buzzword to some people. They're like, yeah, I heard of that, you know? And they don't really understand what it is. So it's phenomenal to educate people and to see the power of it and to really understand that there's deep emotions that occur in the circle, but there's also, we can have fun. We could giggle, you know, we can enjoy each other and laugh. So yeah, yeah. So that's powerful. There's like four lessons in there. And if you miss them, go back and rewind um, because- I think a lot like with Amplify RJ, like, you know, what, as you were talking, I like you, you sparked something in me. And so like the last piece, uh, I was like, you know, a little bit of passively listening because like my mind just went to this place of like, you know, what does that avalanche look like? What does it look like to continue to build that movement um, in the life of Amplify RJ? Right. But also bigger because like 
on on one end, like it is like that knowledge um, that people like, people just need knowledge, but it's also like how do we build communities where people can practice That's these right. ways of being, right? Because it's not just like, hey, this thing that we do um, when we're in X Y Z circumstance, it's like this way of being. Um, so I'm gonna have to go back and like rewind and listen <laughs> to the rest to get the rest of those gems that are in there. But thank you so much. Sure. Excuse me. Yeah, it's so because, you know, even once some of our folks take the training, it's like, OK, what do you do now? And we accompany people. So yeah. that's one of the positive things about one of the several positive things about Nehemiah Trinity Rising, where, you know, once folks go through the four day training, we don't just leave you to figure it out. We'll help you with your script or plan. Um, we'll help you develop it and, you know, help you figure out what you want to do, the who, what, where, how and when. And we'll journey with you, you know, instead of just, you know, saying, okay, this is it, you know, you go ahead and do your circle, figure it out. You know, if, if it's a need for us to co-keep, sit in the circle, we do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you get to sit in circle with four people living or dead. Who are they? And what is the one question you ask the circle? Four people living or dead. I will sit in circle with, definitely with Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I would sit in circle with my grandmother. I would sit in circle with, you said four. Is that including myself? No. <laughs> no. You and four others. Yeah. I knew it wasn't. So my grandmother, my um, Martin Luther King Jr. I would sit with, Living or dead, I would sit with uh, Reverend Jeremiah Wright Jr. And I would sit with my seventh grade teacher, Mrs. Harrison, who taught me about, taught me deeply. My parents taught me about Black history, but Mrs. Harrison, I mean, she went there with Black history. And we were reading from the book called Black Voices. And I learned so much about so many poets, Langston Hughes and you know, so many other poets deeply. We did all kinds of acting. So it would be her. <laughs> all in a nutshell, it would be Mrs. Harris, seventh grade yeah. teacher. And you said the question that I would ask, my first question, who are you? That's what I would ask. Mm. Yeah. Um, sometimes on the podcast, we flip this question on the guest um but you've already answered who are you so we don't get to do that <laughs> I can't flip that on you you're killing me it's okay it's okay totally um and finally how can people support you your work in the ways that you want to be supported I think well definitely learning about RJ and definitely going through trainings uh, so they deeply understand what restorative justice is you know, if you go through a four-day training, David, as you and I know, you're not an expert. You know, you're not like, you know, getting the uh, big confirmation that you know restorative justice. But at least if people go through trainings and then bring it back, you know, and figure out how to use it within community, within family, um, that's supporting restorative justice. You know, I, I, supporting me means you're supporting the work that I do, you know, as an RJ practitioner. So learning about restorative justice and learning how powerful 
it is and how it can be used to change uh, people. And we're talking about advocacy, you know, all different walks of life in terms of advocacy work and trainings and seminars and community work that we do. So that would be, to me, the best way to support it, to be um, engaged learning and, and understanding and questioning, you know, asking questions about it and how can it work and how can I apply it, but people creating an avalanche within their pockets based on what they learn, you know, and being in community, being reflective about how they behave and how they act and the words that they use. And if they're giving voice and life to people, you know, that, that supports me based on supporting restorative justice. Yeah. Um, And, you know, Nehemiah offers those trainings. There are other places where you can go. Um, There are also lots of people to learn from at the upcoming NACRJ conference. And again, all the uh, links for those things will be in the show notes. Vanessa, thank you so much uh, for sharing your time, your wisdom, your stories. Anything else you want to leave the people with? You know what? I mean, RJ rocks. (laughs) Please learn about it. Please ask questions about it. Uh, please attend our conference that's going to be in Chicago in July. We want to see you there. We want you to be a part of RJ communities. We'd love to have you within our space for you to learn as well. So thank you so much. I just love uh, being in this space and, and having had the opportunity to speak to everyone. So thank you so much. All right, y'all. Hope to see you very soon. I mean, I will be seeing you very soon, Vanessa, but everyone else, um, you know, we'll be back with another great conversation with a restorative justice practitioner next week. Until then, take care. Thank you, Vanessa, for all that you had to share this episode. I wanted to start off this reflection with a quote that she said towards the beginning of the episode. Vanessa said, We can't just penalize young people. We have to have conversations with them and hear their voices to find out what's happening to them. I think this is so important and it's really important that we are prioritizing the voices of young people of the future. As a young person myself, I think it would really make a big difference if more people took the time to ask young people how they are feeling. Just like we start off every episode with who are you and how are you. One way that you can share the message of this podcast, including sharing the link, um, is by practicing these things with people who don't necessarily listen to the podcast. And that means a lot of young people. And also, I really appreciate the second half of that, which was talking about opening up the circle and kind of opening our horizons and opening our eyes to see that young people can add so much to our circles if we involve them in these practices. We're not at a point where restorative justice is everywhere and people have still grown up within these punitive structures. And the only way we can change that is if we start with our young people to create a new generation of people who do know what restorative justice is. And that's something that we are hoping to do with this restorative justice life and with all of our initiatives as Amplify Restorative Justice. If you'd like to be more involved with Amplify RJ, make sure to check out all the links in our show notes below where we link our Instagram, our networks and a lot of different other community spaces that you can help join so that we can have even more conversations about restorative justice. As always, thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Like what you heard? 
Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast on whatever platform you're using right now. It really helps us further amplify this work. You can also support us by following us on our social platforms, signing up for our email list, rocking our new merch, joining our Patreon, or signing up for a workshop. So many options! Links to everything in the show notes and on our website, AmplifyRJ.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.